Alright you guys, welcome back to another episode of Little Man Big Conversations. Hey, if you're listening to this episode off the back of the Brandy Alexander Part 1 and Part 2 episodes, then you're in for a treat, because this here is the second episode of the two-part episode bomb drop that I was speaking about. On this episode, I get to sit down and have a chat with one of Queensland's premier wrestlers. He was arguably there at the beginning, and 20 years later, he is still helping pave the way, create some superstars of today. He's been through the highs, he's been through the lows, and hell, he cooks up a mean Alaska. Ladies and gentlemen, please sit back and enjoy my conversation with Queensland's premier wrestler, BJ Blade. So here we are, little man, big conversations. I'm really excited. I've known this man for way too long. I don't know how we're friends. It's it still wakes me out to this day. I pay tribute to this guy every time I wear a bandana. He doesn't believe me, but it's true. Ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only, Mr. BJ Blade. BJ, how the hell are you, man? I'm good, Flash. How are you? <laughs> man, it's exciting. Like I've I've always wanted to do a podcast. I've always wanted to get people on here. People say I have the gift of the and or gab. Um, so this is really exciting. I'm really thankful for the time that you've given me to inter- to inter- pretty much interview you. I was going to say introduce you. I've already done that. Uh, to interview you, to have a chat to you, and just basically I want to have a big conversation with you and just break the mold and find out for everyone that listens just who you are and what exactly it is that you do and how the hell we've got to know each other. So are you ready for that? Yeah, man. Well, straight off the top, I'll just say that Lee is going to be pissed. Just one more thing. I've topped him at. <laughs> Not putting him over again. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm going to. He'll always gonna, be number two. When I'm it comes cop- to me and him, he'll be number two. Always. I'm going to cop a lot of audio heat. Uh, <laughs> probably maybe some real life heat for a while. Um, no, no, he'll feel, be sweet. Um, if I if you don't hear from me in three days, he, he hasn't gotten over it. <laughs> <laughs> so, man, I, I guess we'll take people back to, I think, when was the first time that you can recall that we first met each other? I feel like it was the 2010 IPW Union show. Was that the first time that you had come back to IPW in a wrestling aspect at that point? Um, I hope your memory is better than mine because I've got no idea, honestly. Uh, I can't remember, uh, to be honest. It, like the last 18 or so years for me, apart from like when I started and when I've just re- most recently finished up, everything else in between is pretty much a blur at this stage, to be honest. <laughs> well, I feel like that was the first time that I'd met you. And, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that was the first reunion show where you came back and I think you had a triple threat match with Lee, and I think it was with Cruz. I think the three yeah, of you did something. Yep. Um, and I knew of you from the fact that you had been there. And when I when I joined IPW, um, I was studying at the time, doing university, uh, doing a film degree, and and that sort of entailed doing uh, editing. So I was given the video library to the old MIW, which was what well, IPW was formerly known as Major Impact Wrestling. And there was a lot of tapes on there of yourself and Cruz and Scott Black and Jethro and Jackaroo and Dallas and Island Boy. So I got sort of an influx of all these people. So I was kind of nervous the first day or well, the first time that I heard that you were coming back because prior to having the video footage, I knew that you were involved with PWAQ, but that wasn't happening I don't think that was happening for you at anymore at that stage, but that's where I knew 
where you were at that point before the reunion show. So I remember you when you walked in, I was like, oh, my God, it's it, he's real. Like <laughs> it kind of felt like a mirage. Like I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say. But, um, yeah, I think that was the first time that we had met each other. And what was – what was that reunion show like for you? Because I know for myself being a younger guy on the roster, that was kind of just a, a kind of a, oh, who are these guys? But I felt differently with it in the sense of, because I, like I said, I've been exposed to all that footage. To me, it was like, wow, these guys are really here. This is really nostalgic to a certain extent. But what was that like for someone of your caliber that had come through major impact wrestling, that had seen the change from WCW to IPW to now coming back after all the adventures that you had, what was that moment like for you? Um, very nerve wracking actually, because, um, up to that point I hadn't wrestled for four years. So it had been a long time off. Um, and honestly thought it would be just going back for sort of one match and that was it like a one and done. It ended up, I had another six year run (laughs) with them after that. So, um, yeah, no, it was, it was nerve wracking because, You've got a lot of – well, one, I'd put on like about 30 or 40 kilos since I last wrestled. So I was a fat, tubby piece of shit. Um, <laughs> and just just wondering whether I'd be able to like keep up, um, saved by the fact that I was in there with with Lee and um, and Troy, Jethro and Cruz, um, made things a lot easier. But, yeah, for sure. I remember turning up um, to training a few weeks before that because Lee was actually the one that talked me into doing it. He said um, that um, Hawk had asked him to do it, and he said, well, I won't do it unless BJ does it. And then Lee called me and said, I'm not doing it if you don't do it. And I said, well, I'll do it. And so he's like, oh, I'll do it, and yada, yada, yada. Um, We ended up doing it. So that was – I rocked up training a a few weeks before the show and saw – um, Hawk and just said, well, if I'm going to do this show, I better get some training in. <laughs> and, um, yeah, just sort of went from there. Um, got there on the day, uh, thought I'd just try a moonsault. <laughs> <laughs> As you do the classic coming in the doors um, after four years doing a moonsault. Why not? I remember I got, I got up there and, and, and did the move and, um, Hawk was on the, outside of the ring sitting at the announcer's desk and he just looked up and goes, what the fuck was that? <laughs> <laughs> I said, uh, just seeing if I can still do it. So, um, yeah, so that was, that was good. It was, it was good fun from there. I, from there, I think, um, I really got motivated again with that, with that time I went back. Cause then I, I got to training again. I started to drop weight again, I ended up getting back down to about, 90 kilos or 95 kilos, something like that. So I lost about 25 to 30 kilos as well during that period. And I, f- I feel that I had some really good matches with some of the young guys too, like coming up and yourself, obviously. Um, but yeah, it was a lot of fun that, that last sort of time that I was there. So, yeah. so, so the reunion show came about because, uh, Lee reached out to you and said that, hey, they're doing a reunion show. Do you want to be a part of it? Is that is that how it came to you being there? Correct. It's all Lee's fault. <laughs> okay. Um, did you enjoy – was it – so it was nerve-wracking coming back to wrestle, but how was the locker room at that point? Like obviously there was a lot of new faces, as you mentioned. Was it 
was it welcoming? Like, did, were you nervous of the fact of coming back there, given that you'd gone and wrestled at different promotions? Were you nervous of the fact of, am I going to be ignored in the locker room? Am I going to be sort of given like a cold shoulder? Or did you feel, hey, let's just go and see what happens? Like, what was your incentive instead? What was your mindset outside of the ring heading back into the reunion show? Um, initially, it was a bit, a bit, um, I don't know. It was it was strange because I hadn't spoken to um, Hawk in a long time. Yep. Um, so just going back there, I can't even remember who it was who I contacted about going down to training beforehand, but it wasn't Hawk. It was someone else, and I can't remember who it was, but they said, yeah, just come down. So I did, and I don't know whether he was expecting me to be there or not. So it was kind of like a, oh, hey. I was like, yeah, oh, hey. And it was just like old times after that. And um, I think within a couple of weeks, I was back running training classes (laughs) along with Ash and and Scorn and whoever, and Maddie, whoever else was there, um, doing it at the same time. So if, like, I had that little bit of, time getting to know everyone um under my belt before the actual show itself so yeah. that was that made it a lot easier um and as far as the the young guys um they were nothing but respectful like they mm. took everything on board um i think made it easier because um hawk sort of just told them in training too just like listen to this guy <laughs> so um yeah, no, it was it was fine. Everyone was really cool. Yeah, I I, I found that too. Like I, I share the same sentiments of, um, I think I was nervous coming back into there, um, being invited back to ten years later, I should say the difference between oh not ten years sorry nine years nine years I correct myself nine years from that reunion show to the one that happened in two thousand nineteen, being invited back to do that, um, which in a big part was due to yourself and Ash and, and Cruz and Matt um, and a lot of the old, old school guys that were there when I was coming up in the ranks, voicing their concern and, and voicing the sort of demand, if you will, for lack of a better term, of wanting my name and who I was in the ring to come back for that show. So I really appreciate the fact that you um, did that for me professionally to, to say, look, man, I really think you should essentially come home for that reunion show. But I I shared the same vibe because I felt that sort of nervousness being like, oh, is, is you know, am I going to be, am I going to be given this cold shoulder? Is it going to be sort of awkward? Am I going to be sitting in the locker room by myself? But much to how you were um, approached coming back after a certain amount of time, yeah, it was nothing but just love and respect. Everyone was so like, Hey man, it's so great to see you back. It's so cool that you're here. Um, and it was almost sharing or mirroring what you went through. Um, and it's, it's kind of revealing to hear that because that is the same sort of vibe that I had experienced as well. And I think it just, it's a testament of, of guys like yourself, um, coming back and teaching all the young guys. I've, not so much the moves because at the end of the day, the moves are easy to a certain extent, but I think just a matter of just respect and camaraderie and just making a fellowship in that, in that company. And I think that's what keeps it standing for the test of time all these years is the fact that everyone there really loves and appreciates past and present, which is rare now. So I think, I think it, yeah. 
Yeah, I think one of the, the big things you can take away from being with a group of people, in especially in this setting, um, is that once you make friends with someone, they're like, they're friends for life. Yeah. And within that group of friends, you may have some that don't get along with each other. But at the end of the day, um, I always live by the motto that you can only treat people the way that they have treated you. Mm -hmm. So if you've got if you've got a problem with someone, or so I should say, if one of your friends has a problem with another one of your friends, then you've got to kind of let them work it out. And I think by the same token, they can't expect you to take sides because if you're cool with both people, then there's no reason to ruin that relationship with one person over the other sort of thing. Um, I don't know if that makes sense or not, but I just feel that no matter how long the time is in between, I think that once you've, once you've developed that rapport with someone um, or, or have gained that person's respect and they've gained yours. Uh, I don't, I don't think it matters. I think at, at any time, like you've always got someone to, who will vouch for you. Um, yeah, it's, it's a, I mean, I've met such great people through wrestling and they're, they're mm. friends for life and I might not see them for years um, mm. or even talk to them for years. But when you walk back in that locker room or it's, it's the same as it used to be. And I don't think there's, I mean, the, the good people I, I find stick around and there's a reason for that because there'll always be people that will say, yeah, yeah, bring him in, uh, bring this guy in. Um, he's a good guy. You know, he'll do the right thing. Whereas the other people that don't, I, I sort of find that over the years, they're the ones that have sort of weeded out or sort of disappeared from the scene. Not, not everyone, but a lot. You kind of mm -hmm. like find the people that are like a true sort of well, real people, and mm -hmm. they tend to they tend to stick around and always have people that will say good things about them. Um, and then there are others that like may leave, and you know if they try and come back, and there's not really much room for them to do so. Yeah, I don't know yeah, if that I, makes sense. No, no, it, it completely does, and it's a strange thing is that you know you can't say have a job. Um, like whenever I talk about business, I always refer to McDonald's because I arguably think that they're one of the most successful business franchises of all time. <laughs> but with McDonald's, you can't sort of work there and then leave and then come back and everyone be like, hey, hey guys, it's me. I used to flip burgers. It's And then they go, oh, okay. Like it's not – it's just like, okay, what do you want? Like it, you used to work here, you don't anymore. But with pro wrestling um, – and I think maybe with other sporting teams, but I can only speak on the experiences that you and I share, is that with pro wrestling, you could be gone for X amount of years, but the minute you come back into that locker room, people there are just it, – it is quite like you said. It's like seeing an old family member. It's like seeing someone that you haven't seen in a while, but no one there has essentially forgotten about you to a certain extent. Like the minute you walk in, everyone's like, oh, wow, what a rush. Like it's it's all positive. It's all great. And it, it is pretty much every time you walk into that locker room – uh, it is pretty much like a reunion show every single time because everyone's like so excited to see you again and it is sort of like, hey, what are you up to? How's your life been? And it kind of really does border the line of an extended family. Yeah, it does. Um, and you'll find that there's always at least one person you know somewhere as well, like who – like I, I remember I worked my first – my last match actually before I just – 
have given it up for now. Don't call it a retirement. Um, <laughs> was that was at Venom? Okay. Um, and that was my that was my last match. Is almost two years ago now. Yep. Um, but I knew people there. Like I knew people like yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, um, geez, I can't even. I, I can't. You, Cobra. Um, yep. What's his name? Renegade. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I can't remember everyone who was there, but there, there were people there that I that I knew. So as soon as you walk in, it's like, oh, hey, man, like, how have you been? And you can start talking to people straight away. And then there's people that I have never met, um, like Tim, who just come up, but you know, you know of them. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like you're strangers, but you kind of you're not. And it was easy. Like uh, I had a match with Tim that night, and we just we got along so well, and he was so mm. cool. And um, that was one of those times when I didn't know what to expect. Like, am sure. I going to get? Yeah. Am I going to get like ego from this guy, or is it going to be really difficult? And it wasn't. Like as soon as he came up to me and shook hands, it was like, man, this is comfortable. So mm-hmm. it was just awesome. Like th- there's always people you know, and I think that's. That's one of those things. If you if you just um, carry yourself like with dignity, then people will hear about that. Like if you go into a place and you've got a bad reputation, then mm. people are probably going to be a bit standoffish. But if you if you um, have a good rep, then you know there's no reason for people to sort of yeah be shit to you. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. But. We're at the end of the road here. We're at the reunion show. We've spoken about you came back and had a six-year run. We're talking about the last match you had. But take me back to how the hell did BJ Blade start? Where did you begin? How the hell did you come up with that name? And what was it like when you started? So take me back to day one. So you find out about wrestling training. How did you find out about it? And and, and how did the process begin for you? WWF Magazine. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's there was definitely... an ad in WWF magazine when I was 12 years old and it was for the Ultimate Warrior Pro Wrestling Academy. Oh, wow. And, uh, Did you actually yeah. go along to that? No, God, no. Oh. <laughs> but um, but at 12 years old, I, I sort of, my dad said to me, is that what you want to do? And I said, yeah, that's what I want to do. And um, he was a... a had a had a few beers that night and insisted <laughs> that that I call this phone number in this WWF magazine because like I I was like totally I didn't know anything about wrestling I thought it was all sort of you knew there was something you know uh, suspect about it but you didn't know for sure whether it was uh, guys working together like you knew it was a bit sort of fake but what was the like, first match it, you remember seeing. Because you're saying you're 12 uh, years old, you saw that article when you were 12, but I'm assuming you had exposure to wrestling before that. So, do you remember the first match you saw whenever you were first exposed to wrestling? Yes, it was um, the 1990 Survivor Series. Okay. So, yep. yep, that's the first um, VHS tape that I rented out from the video store. Yep. Because it had the most superstars on the back, and it was um, <laughs> the Ultimate Warrior that. The Ultimate Warriors versus the Perfect Team. Mm-hmm. That was the Ultimate Warrior, the Texas Tornado, and the Road Warriors against uh, Mr. Perfect, Demolition. 
I think it could have been all of Demolition, three members at that stage. Okay. And what, yes. and what and what drove you to pick that tape up? Like, had you seen wrestling before you picked that tape up? Or did you think, hey, these guys are colourful, superhero-looking dudes. I'm going to see what this is about. No. Um, the way I got into wrestling was through Nintendo. Um, the, the old really Royal good... Rumble, WrestleMania games? Yeah, I had a really good friend who um, – we're talking NES system here mm-hmm. – um, who we used to like have like heaps of sleepovers as you did at like, you know, 10, 11 years of age. And we just like used to rent out games like all the time from like the video store. Okay. And um, one of them was WWF WrestleMania Challenge, I think it was called, (laughs) something like that. Yeah, WrestleMania Challenge. And we were just like, this game's awesome. Like, and probably like I've played it now just recently and I'm like, this game is so shit. But um, (laughs) – it's no no but, mercy. No, it's no no mercy. Um, so from there, it was just like um, we we started doing like a couple of the moves and stuff, and then no, sorry, that's the wrong way around. We played this game, and then I saw this video, and I'm like, I've got to check what this is like in real life. Right. Yeah. So you wanted to so see that, what that led me to getting the the DVD the DVD VHS out. And then from there, then we were just like wrestling fans. Then instead of renting games out, then we were renting like VHSs out each weekend sort of thing until we got to like the – I mean the sports section of a VHS um, video store back in the day, old Video Easy, mm. um, just had so many wrestling videos. Yeah. And so that kept us going for a while until we actually caught up to 1992 and then you had to wait like every three months for a new VHS to come out because they only did four pay-per-views a year. And those VHSs are like actually three months behind like the Royal Rumble you'd get in like April or something and then Mania you'd get in, you know, June or July or something. So that was always three months behind and no internet, obviously. So, mm-hmm. yeah, but that's that's how that's um, as far as actually getting into the training side of things goes, well – um, nothing really happened until I was about 18 or 19. No, I was mm-hmm. older than that. 20, 21. See, my memory is shit, mate. Um, <laughs> That's all right. I believe you. A friend of mine um, was down at the rugby league club in Southport and okay. there was a post- poster on the wall and it had sweet ass on the poster. And it was like live wrestling in like Ashmore or Narang or wherever it was. And he brought it home and he said, have a look at this. And I'm like, what the hell's this? So we never ended up going to the show, but I called the number and I'm like, where can I do this? So um, that was my first conversation with Hawk. He said, come down and meet me at the adult shop. And I'm like, what the fuck? And um, then I think it was like a week later or something, I went down there and went through the front door of an adult shop and into the back room to the, to the casting couch. Wait a minute, wait a minute. So, <laughs> so your first ex- your first treatment to wrestling was that you called a number that for an advertisement you saw in a in a Southport sports hall, and the and the owner, which I rugby believe, league club, rugby league club, right? So yep. you picked up you picked up the phone, you called the number, Hawk answered and said, "Meet me at a sex shop." You get Correct. to the sex shop, you walk in, what is what happens? Hi, I'm here for wrestling, and someone says to you, Yeah, go out the back. 
What pretty the hell much. Are you thinking? Pretty what much. What the hell are you thinking at this point? I think um I think Hawk was actually um sitting at the front desk and um I can't remember exactly how the conversation went, but he took me to this back room and where we could like talk about it like properly, basically. And he gave me the rundown on like, hey, you know, how it's not easy and like da-da-da-da and and then said, go away and think about it for a week and call me back if you're still if you're still interested. So it wasn't a week, it was like a day. I said, when can I start training? So um yeah, that was it. So every time you went to training you had to go and check in at the um at the sex shop first before you could go through to the gym. So yeah, and then yeah, that was it from there. It was um it was crazy. It was like the best time. It was the biggest rush. Um taking your first bump and like and like you said before, like seeing these guys, even though they weren't like you know, they weren't the rock or stone cold or anything, but they were these big guys, like um I think one of the first guys I met was his name was wrestling name was Thor. Okay. And man, he but he was just a big dude. He was like an ex bodybuilder guy. And he was just like, he was just big. And like, I'm not big. I'm like short. I'm a short ass. I'm only, you know, five foot four or something. So I'm not, yeah. I'm not big. I'm not like a tall guy. And this hey, man, guy, I feel you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, seeing these huge guys and just feeling intimidated by them. And there was Harley Seth. He was there and it was like this guy dressed like a biker and it's like, is this his wrestling gimmick or is this in real life sort of thing? And it's, you're very intimidating Mm. So, um, yeah, it was, it was good fun though. So how was your first training experience? So you, so did you go away for a week and think about it and then come back or were you there? No, um, next, next day I called him and and said, I want to do this. I can't remember how long my first training session was Mm -hmm. after that. Um, but my first training was with, um, his son, Troy, who wrestles by Cruz. Um, so he predominantly trained me for the first three months. Okay. And then from there, I think I had my first match after three months and it was wow. with him. Yep. Um, yeah, it was rushed. My first match was rubbish. Uh, everyone <laughs> said it was, everyone said it was really good. It was like a table match. Like go figure. Yeah, wait, wait, wait. Um, your first, your first match was a table match. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It was, um, How was that experience? <laughs> Yeah, scary as shit. Um, <laughs> one of the other wrestlers was out the back and he's like, you know, chucking a rib on me saying, oh, when Cruz gets all like, when he's in a bad mood and he's pissed off, he like slams his, because he used to carry a hockey stick around at it and backstage. Right. He would be slamming his hockey stick on the ground and that. And of course, like, that's just him getting ready for his match. But here I am like, going like, what the hell? And what's <laughs> what's his finish oh it's a leg drop from the top rope oh sick oh yeah he's knocked a couple of guys out with that and it's like what the fuck? really okay okay do you remember Sweet. who was ribbing you um i think it was troll and oh. weird one mainly yeah that yeah. sounds like someone like yeah for sure uh, yeah I, I got to put in perspective i got trolled on my first day as well and i got i got ribbed hard by the sweet assassin on my first day there, I was I was managing Blaze, and they'd asked me to come in, and I and I joined up, and I was so nervous, and I was like, oh my god, I'm gonna I'm gonna go out there, I'm actually gonna live a dream at the moment, and my 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 buddy, Blaze had already had a couple of uh, matches under his belt, it's like it's fine, it's fine, you know, once you get out there, you just have the adrenaline hit, and I remember the sweet assassin looking up at me, and goes, <coughs> he goes, hey man, 
you should wear this out to the ring. And I went, oh, okay. And he goes, yeah, it will really suit, really suit your character. And I went, oh, this is awesome. Like, I'm trying to break the ice with a few of these guys. Like, I didn't really know anyone there. And this guy's, like, helping me out. And I went, wow, yeah, thanks. I'll take this item. And I used this in my first match. And this guy's really trying to help me out. What a, what a nice guy. Man, Sweet Assassin gave me a blue sparkly cowboy hat and told me to go out to the ring and said it would be great for my character. He ribbed me hard on my first day. So I feel you. I feel you on the ribbing. But it was um yeah, it was it was good. Like it, for, as far as a as far as a match went, it was it was well, I haven't watched it in a long time, but it was pretty bad. But um <laughs> But it was it was good. It was good fun. I had like my dad and my uncle was there in the crowd, mm-hmm. um, and just the the whole atmosphere of the show. Like it was, it was really like an old school sort of like wrestling show. It was like it was so carny. Yeah. Um, but I just remember I remember being backstage and just going, "This is the fucking best shit ever." <laughs> like right? there's yeah. like just the the noise of the ring and the crowd. And like the whole time there was like music playing in the background, which was like so bizarre, like to be wrestling with like um, Leonard Skinner or something playing in the background or like Bruce Springsteen or something. You just like, (laughs) you know, what the hell's this got to do with wrestling sort of thing? But it's like you're about to lock up and the bell rings and you just hear like, just like, I'm just like sitting out the back and just going, man, this is fucking awesome. Man, and, there's nothing um, like getting your ass kicked to dancing in the dark. Oh, it was just, <laughs> man, it was so bizarre, but it was just so great at the same time. And um, yeah, yeah, good days, good times. So, so, so how long were you there for? Um, so you, you had three months training and then your first match with the table match with Cruz. Yeah. And how long how long were you there for and before you took uh what did you take a break or did you leave? Like how, um, how did that out? And to be honest, this is where the memory's a little bit hazy, but oh, I how, think how, I, <laughs> how convenient. <laughs> I think no, I think I had um because the thing is like it feels like longer than it actually was. Yeah. I think the, the, when I first started, I was 21. I remember my first, it was uh, June, I don't remember the date, but it was like June the 3rd or something, 2001. Like that was my first match. Mm-hmm. I think um, I did maybe two or three years, maybe to like 2004, yep. at a guess. Um, and then I just decided I was going to have some some time off. Um, I can't even really remember why, to be honest, it was just, it was just one of those things. It might've been like girlfriend I had at the time or something. It was just like, give me a hard time about it or, um, maybe a couple of injuries or something. I, to, to be honest, it's like really hazy. So I was going to ask, so it wasn't injury related? Cause I know a lot of guys and you'd know a lot of guys that do take time off when they get hurt and they come back, but you're saying you don't think you're injured at that point? Uh, I honestly don't know. I think it might have just been a combination of things, to be honest. Like, I'm, I'm not, um, I'm not 100 percent sure. What was the schedule like back then? Was it monthly shows or was it weekly? Monthly. Okay. Monthly. I think at one stage when I was there, I think they tried doing fortnightly shows. Right. Yep. Um, but that didn't last very long. 
<laughs> but again, I might get corrected. Like I'm always like talking to people and they're like, you remember when this BJ? And I'm like, uh, no, when did that happen? They're like, oh, you remember that? And I'm like, no, can't remember that. Sorry. So I, I don't know. Like I I'm, <laughs> honestly think I might have a serious problem with like memory loss. But I, because <laughs> well, do, even do you remember? Do you remember, before we continue, do you remember how you got the name BJ Blade? Was that your creation or did, did Hawk give that to you? Uh, that was that was a combination. Um, okay. I really liked Limp Biscuit. <laughs> so, okay. And um, they had a band member. His name was DJ Lethal. Yes. So um, my name was going to be BJ Lethal because that's um, BJ was my has been my nickname all through like since I was in year five in primary school, all right. the way through high school, like because that's my name, like. Ben James. So, sure. um, so it was going to be BJ lethal and, um, Pete Hawk, he was just like, uh, I think blade would suit you blade. And I'm like, uh, yeah, BJ blade. And so that's kind of how that came around. And I didn't really like, um, the BJ part too much, um, because of all the, you know, just stupid, you know, like, oh, blowjob blade and, like, shit like that, you know. <laughs> just, like, yeah, I haven't heard that one before. Like, fuck off. Um, so that was kind of – Hey, man. I tried to, I tried yeah, to drop it for a while and just went by blade, and it just didn't sort of suit either. But um, I think the blade – I think uh, Pete had a, had a thing, I think, of trying to reuse, like, certain gimmicks with people. I'm pretty sure he had a blade – before I had been there, just like he'd had a trash man before the new trash man had been there. So I think there was like certain gimmicks that he tried to recycle a little bit. I think that's how I got stuck with the blade part. But in the end, it ended up working out. And I, um, yeah, that's kind of the one that stuck. Well, in the grand scheme of things, man, I think it's, I think blade worked out better than having a lethal blowjob. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that would have been uh, something you'd come back from. But okay, so yeah, you've no, got the I'd name. I've never thought about that before, to be honest. Well, I'm happy to oblige. So mm-hmm. so you've, you've taken the break. It's either the relationship you had at the time or the injury. You're not 100% sure. but So you, you take the time off. Um, is this around the time that the PWAQ offer came into play or was this the XSE thing? Because I, I know I've, the... I heard, I heard to the grapevine that you were given or you were poised into – during the time off, you were given the, the the opportunity to work for other federations at that time. Is this is this around the time this happened? Yes, around the time. So the XSE thing came first. Okay. Um, and how did that, that come about? Um, through fucking Lee again. Like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I swear, I I think the thing the thing with me in wrestling is like when I'm out of it, or even when I'm in it. I don't really know everything that's going on. Like I'm kind of like just don't get too much into the gossip. Maybe it's that and may, or maybe it's just that people just don't like telling me shit. I don't know what it is, but um, I'm always seems to be the, like the last person to find out something, you know? So um, <clears throat> I had been off for about, I'd like to say a year and a half, but I don't think it was quite that long, but it was definitely more than a year. Okay. So I hadn't I hadn't done anything, and then um, Lee uh, gets in touch with me and says, "Hey man, <laughs> um, 
these other guys that used to wrestle for Pete, they're starting their own wrestling thing and um, they want me to be a trainer. Um, mm-hmm. Do you want to do it with us? Because um, that would be way easier for two of us to do it instead of just me. Yeah. And um, as it turned out, they had um, some good financial backing. I won't, like, won't lie about that. They had, like, uh, they had the money for it. Um, they had <clears throat> big plans and they were going to pay us to train people. So it was like, shit, yeah, let's get paid to train. So um, we started off just at um, a PCYC, just training on like the gym mats. Uh, yep. It was a pretty good room, actually, the one at Surface Paradise. Um, it was like a full like amateur wrestling sort of room. So it was like a full padded floor sort of thing, which was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, but then from there, it didn't take that long until we were actually in like a um, – like a warehouse with a ring, um, gym set, like matted floors, like an office area. Um, like it was, they, they'd spent a lot of money on it. It was like brand new ring, brand new gym equipment. Um, yep. it was awesome. Like it was a really good setup. Like you couldn't, you like, you couldn't ask for anything more really. Okay. Um, so yeah, so we were, we were training guys, um, a few guys from, um, I well IPW but MIW back then um, came over who weren't happy. Um, yeah, and three shows later it was all over. <laughs> wow! So, Only, um, so what? So what happened? What happened there? Do Do you remember why it started so successfully and crumbled so quickly? Um, basically, the people who were running it is what you can put it down to, and I don't mean the trainers, but um, right, the people yeah. who were tra- who were meant to be making like booking shows and, you know, trying to make opportunities for us, um, just had no motivation basically. I just um, – which is really upsetting. Like it started really well. I think the first – could be the first thing we did, might have been the second – but we actually did like a, um, a, a theatre, sh- not a theatre show, like at the Harbortown Movie Cinema, like the cinemas. Um, Nacho, N- Nacho, Libre, Nacho Libre was just like coming out at the movies. Okay. So we'd set up the wrestling ring at the cinemas for like the, the premiere day for it. Oh, wow. And, um, and did some matches there. And um, our first show, we did it like the Logan Entertainment Centre. I think we had about 600 people there or something, which was like, amazing for like a Queensland show at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, then the next one we did like the uni bar where like pro wrestling leagues done a few of theirs and it was like not as many people. And then like the third one, I remember being really frustrated with Lee just, I, th- I think, and I may stand corrected, but we were actually on them. Like when's the next show? When's the next show? Where's it going to be? And it yeah. ended up being out like the back of Logan somewhere, like in some like community hall or something. And it was just, you know, 30 people there or some shit like that. And it was just, and then after that, it was like, that was it. But that's, they were spending money on like just stupid shit, like cars that were like yellow and painted with the logo, like all over it and stuff like that. And it was just, they were like vanity project sort of things. And it was just a waste of money. Mm-hmm. And um, the like the rent that they must have been paying for the for the warehouse on top of all the money that they spent on the gym equipment and the ring yep. and everything. Yet they weren't doing any marketing or advertising to try and like get more students or like promote the business or anything like that. So it was just 
it was just bad, bad direction where they're focusing energy. And I think that mm-hmm. the guy who was running it ended up like fucking the money backer. So then they pissed off with like the money and then that was kind of it. Like it was, and then that all went to shit. So yeah. It was so the they left town. They they essentially left town with all the money. Well, I like I said, I don't know exactly the story, but they they started one of the one of the workers started seeing, you know, the money the money lady, and um, just started spending like stuff on just shit, and she's she's basically looking after him pretty much, um, and then yeah, I think basically just ran out of money, just ran out of money, so they just closed it all up. So yeah, very disappointing. Very disappointing. So it was like all you know started and done within a year, and it was just such a wasted opportunity. Like it could have been, could have been something really good, but just yeah, just a waste. Just a waste. Yeah, and then so how long was it after that that you got the call from uh, PWIQ? Oh, like a month or something, I think. Oh wow, Um, so pretty quick. Yeah, it was. I think I think it was oh, maybe it was longer than that. Again, shady memory, mate. I don't know. It was pretty soon though. It was within a couple of months. Yeah. Um, Mason Childs, who, who was running it back then, he gave me a call. Said, "I'd love you to come in, you and Obi, um, and Obi do a Cartel. thing." Yeah, Obi Cartel. Yeah. So we had we had a little sort of faction together in MIW called mm-hmm. Team Dragon. Yep. And. Um, that kind of, you know, split apart when I left. And then I can't remember what Obi did after that. I know Obi was at XSE with us, but then he went to Canada and then he came back. And I think it was, so it was after he came back from Canada and the States that we, mm-hmm. um, we went to um, PWAC. Okay. Which was doing great things. Like, I mean, that was the, that was the place to be in the mid 2000s. Like Mason and um, Coyote, they were doing an awesome job with that promotion, um, you know, with getting in, interstate guys. I had some of my best matches, like, during that time, I think. Or well, some of my favourite ones, at least, anyway. How long were you at PWAQ for? <sighs> Maybe two years or something like that. Okay. And then yeah. did, you take, did you take another break after that, or...? Yeah, because I fell on my fucking head and fractured my sternum. So, Wait a minute. Uh, so how? So, so you? How? How does that happen? How, what happened? Back then, I was looking at doing my like my final run. I was like, I've had enough of this. I was ready to sort of give it up. But like every time when I've gone to do like a final run, I like fuck something up. So I never, <laughs> never get to go out how I want to go out. But um, so I was like having a, a series of like three matches, um, which was going to be. Uh, with Mason's group at the time called the Brotherhood, I think it was. So, and Mason was going to be the last guy that I wrestled for my final match. Um, and then before him was, um, I think it was going to be Sorrow. And then the first match was with Mark Davis. Okay. Yep. So we were just having, and we, we started so the match and we we're having a really good match. Um, it's fast pace. It was like going really well. And then we just got to a spot um, where I was going to hit him with the top rope blockbuster. Mm-hmm. And um, I went up and Sora came up to grab my leg and it was like, it was too early in the match. So I was kind of like kicking him off. 
And then because it was like delaying so much, um, Davis had sort of come in closer, like as you would, and me just being stupid and rushing just went for the move anyway. So instead of, instead of sort of somersaulting over the top of him, I kind of went more like up and down. Um, so I kind of didn't rotate enough and just sort of come down on the on the back of my head and shoulders. And I thought I was – I seriously in that moment thought I was like paralysed because wow. I couldn't feel anything. It was such a stinger. Um, and Davis like – shat himself and yeah. I just said, all I could say was just, just pin me, just pin me. So he pinned me and, um, straight away, like, um, Obi came out, um, Carlo Cannon, who was there, he came out mm-hmm. just to check on me. And then I started getting feeling like back in my fingers and whatever again. So it was, that was good. Um, but I was concussed. So <laughs> sat the rest of the show, just like backstage, like feeling like a moron. Until um, Obi drove me home later that night, and that was kind of that was kind of it. But um, yeah, it was two weeks before I went to a doctor or anything because I was still getting like pains in my chest. And they're like, "You should probably get an X-ray." And um, so I did. And he's like, "Yeah, you've got a um, hairline fracture in your sternum." And I'm like, oh, "Okay, awesome." So he's like, "Not much you can do about that anyway." So it's like, "Okay, sweet." And that was kind of it. But. Um, yeah, it was. A, if if anyone, I blame myself for that because it was just one of those things where I look back at it now and go, well, if it was the wrong spot, um, I could have just you know kicked Davis off as he was coming at me and backed him off and then gone for the move as normal. But just one of those things in the spur of the moment where you just do something and then instantly regret it. It's like, <laughs> so yeah, so that was and that was it, and I thought that was it. And that was it until um, like six years later or something till the reunion show. So, yeah. Yes. And then I think it was, what, was it maybe a year? I think it was 2012. And you were still on your run after the reunion show. You, you'd come back. You started running training. You, you were back with IPW after a six-year break. And you had a couple matches under your belt. Uh, we're doing monthly shows there. I think we swapped venues maybe – once or twice at that point, uh, maybe, maybe we, I think we'd stayed at, yeah, we'd swapped venues from Ashmore to, to Narang where we, where IPW runs now. Um, and shortly thereafter we switched venues. Uh, I was approached by yourself and Hawk about the opportunity with working with you. Now I, at that point was, uh, I, I was, Doing the superhero gimmick, I was I was doing the the, the little pretty much the little engine that could, uh, the biggest little man uh, persona, which I still sort of operate to so to a certain extent now, but I'd never fought anyone from back in the day, from that had a that had the history that that you had had. Uh, I'd fought uh, along, I'd fought with Ash, I'd fought with Sweetass. Um, I, I, to this day, to this podcast recording right now, I, I still have never fought against Cruz. <laughs> um, I think I'd fought against or Jack Roo, but it was one of his other personas. Um, I fought against Hawk <laughs> and, and, and RIP and, um, and I think Scorn as well with Ash. But I think one of the veterans at that point, I, I don't think Lee Jethro was there at, at that stage. He came back, no. I think, later on. Yeah. Um, so I think, uh, and I think I'd worked with Island Boy, but not to a heavy degree at that stage. And I hadn't worked with Dallas, but so I, I was basically, I remember being approached by you in the locker room 
and you were saying to me, hey, man, um, just letting you know that you and I are going to start doing a program. And I thought it was a rib. I legitimately sat there and I went, this is a joke. And I went, oh, yeah. And he went, nah, we're going to do probably about two or three shows worth and it's going to be for the South Pacific, which was like the, I guess, the intercontinental sort of variant of, yeah. the, of the IPW belts at that point. And I remember going home that night and just completely freaking out. I, I, I think I got into a sweat. I started putting the tapes back in. I, I, at that point, I converted all the VHS tapes to DVD. I put all the MIW tapes to DVD, and I had the individual files on my laptop at that point. And I remember studying the shit out of them, and I watched how hard you hit and kick, and I went, man, I'm not going to last more than – I think the bell's going to ring, and I'm just going to hit the floor. I don't – I do not know what to do with this guy. I completely out of my element, but it was all because of you and you wanted to do this. So, so tell your side of the story. So how did, how did this come about for you? Why did you decide to do a program with me? And, and what was the conversation like that you had? Well, I just like working with people who I like, you know, so. So why'd you choose me? So whether it was at, at training or at shows when I got to know you and just talking to you and whatnot. Um, I liked your kid, you know, <laughs> so, <Yeah>. so, <laughs> no, it was just, it's just one of those things. Like I just like, uh, I see, um, people who, you know, I like who also you can see that, um, they've got, you know, a bit of drive and a bit of, I hate to overuse the word passion, but, passion for um you know having having a good show um one of the hardest things i thought with with um ipw when um hawk was running it was just getting some continuity with from show to show um it was always chopping and changing so it was a really hard sell with with pete to try and get you know a two or three match run with someone where you could build and develop something. I think in the end we talked him into two matches plus like a run in or something. <laughs> so I think that's where we got it to where um you did the run in on me after a match or something. I can't even remember whether I was like I called you out or whatever, but um and I just see like where you know you've got chemistry with someone in real life. I think that translates really easily into into a match in the ring. Yeah. Um, because you have the same sort of um, mindset or the same, you know, view or good ideas of where a match can go, where a program can go. And um, I just saw you as one of those people that, you know, liked the storytelling element of it because you can, um, you know, there's so many, there's so many stories to tell and, and interesting stories to tell. And it doesn't always just, Pete was very in the mindset of like the big guys have to wrestle the big guys and the little guys have to wrestle the little guys mm-hmm. sort of thing. And anything other than that was kind of like, wouldn't work. Um, so it was just one of those things where, you know, you want to try and, you know, prove to someone that they're wrong as well. And it's like these, these matches can work yeah. um, as has been proven time and time throughout like history um yeah and that's basically where it where it started um i've always i don't know how i've always tried to bring other people up as well i guess when yeah when i've been wrestling like always try and do the right thing by 
putting people over or giving other people a rub or helping them get to the next level sort of thing as well. So I think part of it, that's where it came from too, because I saw that there was, uh, there was just a good story there to be told. I was the heel at, I was a heel at the time. Um, you're like ultimate baby face. I was like (laughs) ultimate heel. Um, yeah, it was just, it was just, a just one of those, uh, ideas where like, where you can, where you can go with this. So I can't remember the match. It was that I can't remember. No, it was, I don't know. You might remember it better than I do. I remember you coming out and choke slamming me is the first thing. Yeah. No, what, what happened? I remember. So the, the, the matches was, I versed, I think Wolfman and it was, a I think it was a Halloween show or something. And I'd come out and I'd impersonated the undertaker and I'd won the match. And then after that, you came out and hit the ring and went to shake my hands. And then you went to clothesline me. I ducked under and hit you with a choke slam. And that was what, and then we built to. Was yours a number one contenders match or something? Was that, was that I think why? it was something it like that. I, th- I think it was it something like that. For me to I, I think he was then. sitting on stage. I think he was sitting on stage watching it. Yeah, right. And then I did the choke slam and then on you, because you'd come in and went to shake my hand, like, yeah, cool, man, see you next month. And then you went to throw a line on me, I ducked it, and I hit you with a choke slam. And we, the, the next month we built, we did the title match. And I'm, I remember we were the main and, and – It was the best. Yeah, we were – I think we had a time limit and I think <laughs> behind closed Five doors – Five minutes. It was the best. No, we, 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 we were given a time limit, and I remember we both said, oh, I think we can push an extra five or ten on this. And we went for an extra five or ten, and I remember Hawk coming to the – like pretty much to the the equivalent of where the ring is but against the back wall, and he was doing the cutthroat thing, like telling the referee to end No, it. no, no, no. You're a match, you're a match ahead. You're a match ahead. Oh, was it the second you're too, one? You're too far in the future. The second one we oh. did like the three-minute squash where the title changed hands. And then the third one was the blow off where I tried to like win it in the return match. But the second one, you won, you won the title. I'm sure of it. It was like, did the big man, little man push off and okay. then something else. And then went down to my knees and said like, I'll get down to your level sort of crap. And then you slap me, you drop toe, hold me to the ropes, six, one, nine, uh, flash bang. And that was it. Man, for a guy that has poor memory, you're remembering better than I do. I, I don't even that remember, that <laughs> I remember, remember that one. I remember that match. And then the third one, <laughs> the third one was was the one where we pushed it. Right. But okay. the one in between, that was like that was one of my favorite things that I that I <laughs> have done because it was just one of those because you were so over as a as a baby face. And I was like, I was pretty over as a heel. I'd you know, I'd argue close, I was probably the best heel at that stage. Mm-hmm. Um and you were the biggest baby at that stage. And it was just like, I said, we can do this in like just a few minutes. It'll be a shock. No one will expect it. Because the other thing that I hate about like, you know, um, I don't want to call them indie shows, but like local shows is that every match like is like seven to 12 minutes, seven to 12 minutes, seven to 12 minutes, seven to 12 minutes, main event, 20 to 30 minutes. Uh, and it's like, and that was kind of the pattern that like every show just like had. And it's, it's understandable because like running one show once a month back at that stage, it was like one of the only shows in town. Um, you want to give you guys like enough time to go out there and do their thing and 
rah, rah, rah. And it's not always the best thing for the, for the show, but um, that's just the way it went. And it was just, like, boring. And I was just like, we can, like, let's just do this and just shock, like, everyone. No one will expect it. Yeah, It'll yeah. be awesome. And it was, like, we were just, like, slow build. It was just like, yeah, big man, little man, push off, you know, flex my, uh, you know, do the flex, big man flex. Did something else, I can't remember what it was, maybe like pushed you back you into a corner or something and then did like the clean break, sportsmanship. Oh, that's it, the sportsmanship. Uh, <laughs> that stuck um, around for four months. Um, And then like, yeah, you know, I'll make this fair on you, drop to my knees, you know, talking trash. And then, yeah, slap, drop toe hold into the ropes, 619, flashbang, and that was it. And the crowd like popped like anything. It was awesome. It was so great. Man, I want. I, I loved it. I hope I have the tape of that. I, I, I hope I do. I would I love I a tape of that because I have never even seen that, but I remember mm. it. It was one of my favorites. I can't remember the next match too much, apart from you dropping a chair on my head when I lifted you for a power bomb. But yeah. um, I can't remember much else of that of that match other than that. I, I remember really that. Good match I, I remember well. that point. I remember that point, and then. I think someone threw water in the ring and I remember whispering to you, someone threw water in the ring and you went, yeah, go on. And I went, go on what? And you go, spray me in the face with it. I'm like, really? And he's like, and you're like, yeah, do it. So I triple H sprayed you in the face with this water and it got like a mad pop. And then I remember watching the footage back and I'm like, I look like such a dick. <laughs> All right. So that's, that's the wrestling side of things. So shortly thereafter, um, did you stay on board that whole time until up until your last yeah. match. So you stayed. Yeah. You stayed there till about what? 2018. 2018. Mm, 20. Well, it's been. What year are we in? 2020. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, yeah, I know. Okay. Yeah, 2018. 2018. Okay. So it was like okay. a. It was like a six-year run that last one. I guess. Now, before all this yeah. lockdown stuff, um, did you? Because you, I remember going and seeing the live shows before I, I myself was invited back and you were still there with your notepad and, and still pitching in as much as you could at that time without physically being able to. Do you still do that now or is that just sort of a – did life change for you and you, you know, it doesn't allow you to go down there as much as you'd like to? Uh, it's a combination of things. I've always – because of my profession – yeah. Being, yeah. A, being a chef, I've always found it hard to get that Saturday night off to go and do a show. Mm. Um, at some times it's been easier than others, but generally speaking from about July through to December is very hard for me to get a, like a show night off. Yeah. So um, it was a combination of that after my – Injury back in 2018. I can't believe it's that long ago already. Yeah, it's um, crazy. Yeah, uh, where I, like basically just destroyed my knee. Um, I kind of just uh, I, I didn't like I didn't go into a dark place or anything like depression or anything like that. But I just kind okay. of I did the next few shows with IPW and I just wasn't feeling it mainly because I couldn't do anything. And, um, like, be it, I like, I like, I like wrestling. I just can't stand at ringside and just like be a manager or something, you know, like I've got to be, I've got to be doing it. Um, Mm. and it was really frustrating not being able to do it. Yeah. Um, so I kind of just 
started to drift away from it with no real explanation to anyone. Mm. And then a couple of the things that were happening at IPW, um, just I just wasn't really 100% on board with. I was starting to get and, – and because I was frustrated at the same time, it was kind of like compounded and then like a couple of other people there, you know, start – you know, another guy took some time off um, because of something that happened and he didn't like it and that kind of got me like more sort of agitated about it. Right. And I just kind of – yeah, I just kind of – I feel bad about the way – to be honest, and I haven't told anyone this. Okay. But, uh, I kind of feel bad about the way I've, I kind of left there a few years ago because I kind of just did it without talking to anyone. I made a couple of snide remarks on like the Facebook page, yeah, um, with the boys, which were probably, you know, not not unprofessional. I think they need to be said, but at the same time, probably said it the wrong way. Sure, yeah, and um, just yeah, just kind of then just like just like deleted my deleted my, um, you know, deleted the page from my account so I couldn't see anything that was going on there anymore, deleted, like, all the people, like, at, you know, on Facebook. I've got, like, five friends now. So anyone out there who said, hey, man, we're not friends anymore, it's nothing personal. It's just, <laughs> I just, like, got rid of everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, yeah, it was just – and just didn't say anything to anyone sort of thing and just kind of just left. Yep. And – um. Yeah, I've been thinking about it recently, but oh. whether or not I do anything about it, I don't know. So, yeah, it was kind of, yeah, it was just one of those things, I okay. guess. Yeah. But, yeah. So you're, thinking like about, you're thinking about coming back. You're going to leave us on the hook. You're not going to give us too much more, but you're going to leave us with that cliffhanger of maybe but never say never. Uh, don't call it a comeback. <laughs> For one, for one, I've put on like so much weight again. So I'm like, I'm I'm not in I'm not in ring shape at all. So before I do anything or even think about anything, I've got to get fitter. For a start. hey man, Bam Bam Bigelow was a huge dude. He could moonsault. So if BJ Blade comes back after a four year absence or a six year absence, and first move he does is a moonsault and still hits it, I got faith. Yeah, no, I didn't hit it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I wasn't going to mention that part. <laughs> well. Yeah, I don't know. I've just um, just old injuries too, like just catching up. Like, mm, yeah. I don't know. I hate to like play the poor me card because <laughs> that's not the that's not me at all. But you know, I've got like broken toe. I've like broken four toes, like my big and my little toes on each foot. Mm. Um, I've got like currently got tennis elbow. Um, I've broken fingers. I, s- I swear I've got a cracked rib from like Taekwondo, which like has healed in a weird way. So if I lie on my stomach, it's actually uncomfortable to lie, to lie on. Um, yeah, just like my neck and back and just things just like hurt, you know? So, and being a bit of a fatty, like doesn't help much either. <laughs> like with, with knees and stuff, and my, like my knee, I haven't really like sort of tested it out properly i've only just sort of started like squatting properly on it but that's just like body weight it's like no weight just because i'm not like real comfortable with like how stable it is okay so yeah it's just i don't know it's one of the like i just i have a great angle for when i come or not when i come back (laughs) but if i was to come back i have like a great angle that i could like play off all of this sort of thing but 
Um, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of bitter. It's yeah, it's like a bitter ending for me to be honest. Like that's why I don't like to sort of think of it as an ending yet. Yeah. But as I creep up to like forty years old, um, yeah, sort of just if I don't do something soon, like it just it won't happen. So we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, self high five, forty years old. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But I don't so, use things in the, as an excuse, you know, like their own like undoings. Mm. Um, but yeah, but with with work, kids, um, injuries, like it's all just it's a compounded thing where you just I just don't know. I don't see a clear path back yet. Um, mm. even if there is one. So yeah, we'll see. And I've got a few bridges to mend, I think, too, before any of that happens. So, I feel you on the bridge mending, man. I feel you had to rebuild a goddamn village to come back to some points, man. But I yeah. feel you, it happens. It happens in due time. But you heard it here first. It ain't, it ain't a comeback, and it's a never say never. But it's a, it's a when you feel like it. So, given the fact that we've 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 talked about the wrestling career, we've we've been left on a damn cliffhanger, like. It pisses me off that like Lee has like had like sixteen retirements and he's still wrestling, but well, you know here I'm I've never said I've retired. Well, I'll make sure to bring that up to the next time I interview him. Please do was, because see, see if I can get some clarity on that for you. It might be seventeen by like next time you see him. Like <laughs> we're going. This went from a nice conversation about BJ's wrestling career to a goddamn shoot. <laughs> I've got to always rib Lee. He loves it. Well, speaking of some clarity, man, we're going to do a deep dive because for the people out there that may or may not have known your wrestling career are now filled in where we've we've gone through the origins, we've gone through the break, we've gone up to the most recent angle, and now we've been left on a cliffhanger as to when or where you may or may not come back. And if you do come back, we're definitely going to use a different word than come back because that's not allowed and we don't have the license to clear that. Mm. So I, at this point in time, I'm going to take what I like to call this segment is we're going to get, we're going to do a deep dive and any social media deep dive we're going to go through your photos or anything like that. We're going to do a deep dive on you and then you the person. So this is a I don't know if you like what you find, Flash. <laughs> Man, I've I've done some deep dives before and. Uh, I didn't mind the wreckages and I didn't mind the treasures, so I'm happy to find either way, man. But All right. you ready for this? You ready for this deep dive? All right, shoot. All right. So the first question I've got for you, man, is: uh, Have you faced any hurdles in your life, and how did you overcome them? Mm. Like what? And I don't mean like list one to ten every hurdle you've been through. <laughs> but is there is there a major hurdle that you remember facing in your life at that point where you went? This is something I've never ever faced before, and I, I'm not sure how to overcome it. But you did, and what was it, and how did you overcome it? Um, I certainly look back on some aspects of my life and and think could I've done something differently. Yeah. But as far as like a hurdle, um, I don't know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say like I've had any massive like. Well, um, would being would would meeting your wife and being engaged and having a wedding and having kids not in a negative aspect of a hurdle but was that a big hurdle to sort of digest and 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 sort of absorb and and change your life for the better at the most part oh, was that having, a difficult thing having kids was like a massive thing because my wife is um four years older than me she looks like she's still in her 20s that's for sure 
Um, and me, I look like I'm probably like even my kids say, like, you look older than mum, dad. I'm like, yeah, oh, <laughs> thank <wow>. you, <laughs> thank you. Nothing but, but love um, in the James in the beat in the blade household. <laughs> yeah, no, they're all good. I just like power bomb them when they annoy me. Jesus. <laughs> Let's delete that. <laughs> yeah. no, I'm kidding. You can leave it. It's all just jokes. Um, <clears throat> no, um, so her kind of biological clock, I guess, was ticking a little ahead of mine. So um, she was kind of ready and I was not sure. <laughs> so, right. okay. But like anything in life, I guess you just got to dive in. Like, you know, people say, not yet, not yet. It's not the right time. It's like, well, when is the right time? Like, yeah, you sometimes you just got to just roll with the punches, man, and just and just go for it, I suppose. So um, my kids are awesome. Like, I love them to death. I can't – my daughter's, like, 13 now and my son's nine. My daughter's in, like, year eight in high school, which just is scary and sure. blows my mind, <laughs> like, because, yeah, I just I, – I dread the things that we're going to be dealing with in the next few years now. <laughs> yeah. And you know, and she's just got she's just got a smartphone and crap like that. So that's going to be a hurdle. Well, feel, um, feel free, feel free to ring up a couple of the old school boys, and uh, the next time she gets her first boyfriend, we'll uh, <laughs> we'll all answer the door yeah. with you, man. Yeah, I love that line from uh, Bad Boys. <laughs> it's like I don't know, I I can't crap at quoting movies, but basically the kid comes to the door, he's like, "How old are you, Marcus?" or whatever his name is, and he's like. <laughs> Um, 16, sir, or whatever it was. And it's like, shit, you look at least 35. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen the new bad boys? No, I have not. I have not. Have you? Yeah, well, yes. For a slight Is spoiler it... for the people out there and, and a little bit of spoiler for you, they find and they bring back Marcus. Ah, amazing. Who's Marcus? So, he's the kid that... Oh, it is. I got the name right. Okay, awesome. Well, I hope it's Marcus. I don't know. But the, oh. the kid you're referring to in that scene, they find right. that actor okay. and they bring him back again. Okay, so that, yeah. was, a, that was a positive hurdle you faced in your life. You, 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 it was something new. You were ready and you absorbed it now and it's a part of your life and you wouldn't change it for anything in the world. And that's, that's amazing because there's so many people out there that, that share the same sentiment. But it's, it's, it's an interesting insight to hear from you to, to hear that. Mm, wasn't so sure originally, but now it's like, this is the best thing in the world. So that was one thing. But my next question is, you've always given advice to people, whether it be professionally or uh, with the hobby of, of pro wrestling. So I'm sure in your career as a chef, you've given advice to people like, hey, you know, don't cook, don't ever cook that, leave that in there for a bit more, change that display, don't use that much ingredient, this, that, the other. But for yourself, not as either as a wrestler, I mean, I guess the wrestling kind of aspect would just be try this move, do that differently, slow this down, speed that up. But for you as a person, what is the best advice that you have ever received? And did it change you? My my dad um, said to me once, don't sell yourself short. Right. And that, I think, is great advice. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not, like, actually the most confident person, to be honest, like if I'm with a group of people who I know and I'm comfortable around, then yeah, I'm kind of can have a good laugh and like be, I don't know, a personality, I, I guess. Yeah. Um, but you put me in a group of strangers and I'm like really quiet. Like I'm just, I don't like being sort of not the center of attention, but like I don't like attention on me. 
Okay. I'll kind of like be the person who'll stand at the back of like a, a group photo sort of thing. Like yep. I don't try and I don't want to stand at the front sort of thing. Um, and yeah, and, and confidence I think is, you know, is, uh, is one of those things that I, I try and work on, like being more confident. Mm-hmm. Um, but and I guess more recently, like since having a family where you are, I guess you're not only just fighting for yourself anymore, but you're fighting for, for people who are close to you and who love you. Yeah. Um, when it's come to like jobs or, you know, negotiating a wage or something like that, I always try and take that advice into it where if you know what you're worth, you can't let people sort of tell you what you're worth. You've got to know what you're worth and go in there with that confidence to say, well, this is what I'm worth. Don't, okay. I'm not going to sell myself short on, on this. Like this is what I deserve and this is what I want. So what you're going to give me, motherfucker? <laughs> um, no, it's not like that. But yeah, it. But it kind of is. It's sort of like you know, you, you've got to you've got to put value in yourself. So yeah, that's I think was probably the best piece of advice he'd ever given me. Everything else was like fucking shit. But <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. did that apply to did that, did that apply to your current field of being a chef? And and when did the chefing come into that? Was that during your first or the second break of wrestling? Or was that sort of byline the whole time? Uh, no, no, chefing I've done since I was like sixteen years old. Like it was, I worked. So in that the was kitchen. that was so that was there while during the like your wrestling experiences and and discovery. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. He was, um, yeah. My dad wasn't really a role model. He was one of like one of those people who'd say like, "Do as I do as I say, don't do as I do," and it's like. Um, that's that's yeah because i know i carry so many of his traits too which is the worst thing because i try and like not be like how he was in like to my kids but sometimes you kind of you know sometimes it, it kind of slips because it's just you know it's the way that you were brought up and it's ingrained in you and and whatever but um yeah i'm trying to be you know well, I am. I'm not trying to be. I am better for them than what he was for me. But that was one piece of advice which which he gave me, which sort of did stick. Um, so yeah, but that's always that's always been there. I started chefing when I was um, like straight out of high school at like 17 years of age. So okay, um, I've been doing that for a long time, long time. Right. What was and the question? No, that was the question. <laughs> uh, my question was that the chefing. Good happened during wrestling or did it happen during the breaks but it happened before you even started wrestling you're always interested in cooking and doing yeah 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 okay um so that brings me to my next question is who to you and you can feel free to say no if you don't have them but with chefing and with wrestling do you have any uh inspirations or heroes and if you do why do you hold them in such high regard so I already know that Ultimate Warrior is a fan. No, no. <laughs> oh, come on, man. I you read his article in the WWF magazine. You wanted to go. I hated the Warrior. I hated Hogan. I hated Tito Santana. I hated... What about Savio Vega? Look out! <laughs> hated Savio Vega. I hated any of the baby faces, really. I was very much a heel person. Although I did love Bret Hart, like, regardless of whether he was heel or face. And Michaels. Yep. But I um, always lent towards the, the heels, um, Ted DiBiase, Mr. Perfect. Um, God, even Bob Backlund, like when he was doing that psycho gimmick, <laughs> like I really loved <laughs> Owen Hart. Um, 
yeah, Bobby the Brain, like all those guys. I loved all them. Um, yep. What about in Sheffing? Do you have any idols in Sheffing? Um, I enjoy I enjoy watching a lot of um, Sheffing programming. Okay. Um, as far as my, I don't really have any idols in Sheffing. I really like. You know, I really dig watching Gordon Ramsay shows. Oh, yeah, 100%. (laughs) But then, like, you know, they've become too Americanized for television. I think the earlier ones where they were, like, just him in in Britain were, like, really good. They were Mm -hmm. a bit more authentic. Um, You know, I like like watching Jamie Oliver's stuff. I like watching Anthony Bourdain's stuff. Um, Idols, though, like, I'm, like, I'm – like a chef, everyone like, oh, you must like, you know, make delicious food and stuff like all the time. It's like, no, most days I just like make cheeseburgers and like Caesar <laughs> salad, you know, like it's, it's not always glamorous. Um, you know, it's a lot of, it's just repetition of just the same old shit every day sort of thing. I've never worked in any like, um, like fine dining restaurants or anything like that. Like I'm not some like Michelin chef or anything. I'm just like, you know, old mate, chef, <laughs> just, you know, roast potatoes and meat or a lamb shank or like a palmy. Like that's, that's me. Like I just, I can't do like, I, I can do some of the really nice stuff, but that's, I haven't made my career on that sort of thing. And I've had really no, um, especially recently, like any motivation to, um, earlier on when I was younger, um, I did, I used to, when I first started, we had a fine dining restaurant um, and I used to stay back after my shift and mm-hmm. like watch all the other guys work and stuff until I like actually got in there and, and worked a couple of like months in fine dining. Yeah. But um, the place where I worked, it kind of just, they, they shut the fine dining restaurant and then they shut their Japanese restaurant and it just kind of became just like a normal sort of cafe sort of thing. So a lot of the stuff that I've, I've done has kind of just been me or, mm-hmm. or stuff that I've read out of a recipe book that I, like, want to try to do. Um, but I wouldn't say it – again, this, the, the word passion, I, like, hate it. But I wouldn't say that the passion of chefing has, has gone for me, but I'm certainly not as driven to, I don't know, um, go any further and, like – like higher up in my career with it sort of thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. So you're, happy like, with, you're happy with where you're at. Cool. Yeah. It pays the bills, mate. Now, like, honestly, it's like, it's okay. just, I, I like it. I'm good at it. Do I love it? Well, I enjoy it. I enjoy the, like the people I work with, but do I love it? If I was good at anything else um, or if anything else I could do could pay the bills, then I'd probably do something else. Okay. But at this stage of my life, nearly 40, it's like sometimes I think it's too late to like start over because you've got like bills and like school fees and, you know, if I was like single and like had no responsibilities and maybe it would be different. But for now it's just like, yeah, get the bills paid, man. Yeah, fair enough. (laughs) Make that, That make that palmy. (laughs) (laughs) Makes that palmy money. (laughs) Yeah. Now, there's a question I've always wanted to ask is as a pro- professional chef as you are, and it's probably a, a cliche question to be asked a lot of times, but I've, I figured for this podcast I'd, I'd, I'd want to ask you because I'd get a straight answer with it. You spend all day 
relatively all day cooking and preparing either individual or different or the same meal over and over again, depending on what the menu entails on that day, depending if there's a special function or just a basic round the mill kind of restaurant um, procedure. When you come home <laughs> to your family, do you hate cooking? Do you get takeout or what's the go with that? No, because if it- no I, I do most of the cooking at home. Okay. Um, it's it's funny at our place because my wife she's Does really that pay the bills. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my wife she's really sort of like strict with her what she eats. Um, my son is really fussy with what he eats, mm-hmm. so it's kind of just me and my daughter that will just have whatever dad's cooking sort of thing. So, yep. um, so I, we don't we don't do much takeout. Like I love making pizza. And I make the dough from scratch and, like, you know, I've just started making the sauce from scratch as well, which is pretty cool. But So I love making pizza, but it's just normal stuff, man. It's like spaghetti bolognese, pizza, salad, mostly vegetarian because um, meat's just too expensive, you know. <laughs> like, so if it's, yeah, it's usually a bit of mince or chicken breast or something. I love chicken. Fuck, I love chicken. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be the quote we take away from this podcast. BJ yeah. Blade, quote, yeah. fuck, I I'll, love chicken. I'll easily roast a chicken and then, like, eat a whole chicken. It's probably why I'm such a fat fuck. <laughs> <laughs> we cracked the code. <laughs> yes. Um, the poultry has yeah. it out for you. But, yeah, I can cook. Like, I'm, like, not saying I can't cook or I'm a shit chef. Like, I'm a fucking good man. Like, don't, don't you worry. But <laughs> I think that's a problem. I sometimes wonder if I wouldn't have a weight problem if I didn't know how to cook because, like, one, would I just be cooking simpler stuff, which, you know, is just basic shit because that's all I can cook, yeah. or would I just be, like, eating takeout and stuff all the time, so would I be worse off? I don't know what the answer is to that, but I know But because I can cook, I'll be like, yeah, butter makes that taste better. Yeah, bacon <laughs> makes that taste better. Yeah, a bit of cream in that sauce, that'll make that taste better. You know what I mean? So... I just kind of like I just like making tasty stuff like so. Um, it's more yeah, so coming to terms with that, like you know, it's not always like butter's getting expensive now too, man. Like you can't always afford that shit. So yeah, that damn um, stuff's getting close to eight bucks. That might that might be a good thing, you know. So um, yeah, but just whatever whatever's going. Like tonight we had our poke bowls, so that was nice. You know, a bit of salmon. Bit of cucumber, carrot, some rice, some salmon. You know, it's good. Good. Double up on that it. salmon, eh? Hey. Double up on that salmon, hey? Yes, double up. Good omega threes, mate. And then had an entire roast chicken to himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll be like going to the fridge later on. It's like, what is there to snack on? Ah, oh, bread and peanut butter. <laughs> I'll stick with the roast chicken. <laughs> Jam? Oh, there's no jam. Honey? Oh, none of that either. Oh, hang on. Maple syrup? <laughs> it's, Jeez. It's sad, man. It's sad. I need help. <laughs> but he loves cooking. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, it's pretty basic at home. All right. This is the part of the podcast now, which I like to call the Lipton Six. This is in tribute of James Lipton, who sadly we lost earlier this year in March 2020. He was an American writer, lyricist, actor, and the dean 
of the Actors Studio Drama School at Pace University in New York City, where he hosted and ran his TV show Inside the Actors Studio from 1994 to 2018. So in honor and tribute of him, I'm going to ask you his famous six questions that he would ask all his guests before wrapping up his interview. So you ready for the Lipton Six? Yeah, shoot, man. Let's do this. Mm. All right. So first question is, what is your favorite word? Are these meant to be fast questions? I love so many words. Absolutely. I love absolutely. I say okay. absolutely a lot. What What turns you on? Um, my wife. <laughs> Good. What sound or noise do you love? I certainly lo- don't love. I can tell you the uh, noise that I don't love, and that's the alarm on my phone going off <laughs> in the morning. That sound is shit. Let's leave it okay. at that. <laughs> okay. What is your favorite curse word? Fuck. <laughs> Very versatile. Okay. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Um, pro wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I, I have recently been thinking about maybe trying to transition into um, something else. Mm-hmm. Um, teaching. Okay. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Sure, you can come inside. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so here we go. Here's the final four. This is it. We're going to wrap this up. This has been an exciting journey. I've learned a lot about one of my really good friends in life. And now we're going to finish up with the final four. So here we go, final four. Was there ever a point where you thought, hey, this isn't going to work? Now, you can say that professionally or personally, but there was ever a point that you reached whether it be in wrestling, whether it be with chef, whether it be with your family, where you thought, hey, I don't know if this is going to work. Um, yeah, actually, just at um, Christmas time when I had to make like 120 fucking bomb Alaskas for a function, <laughs> and it took me about eight hours to do because I'd never made them on that scale before. So, um, yeah, man, that was a that was a frustrating day. I did not think that was going to work, but it did because I'm a genius. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. All right. Have you ever stopped and thought, how the hell did I get here? Now, that could be only when listening to David Byrne sing Once in a Lifetime. (laughs) Okay. David Byrne, lead singer of the famous group Talking Heads. Yeah. Thanks for that. You can't see this because. You can't see this because it's a podcast, but BJ just winked and clicked, <laughs> clicked <laughs> for the Talking Heads reference. All right. Um, Car- often, often, I often think, how did I get here? Some days I wake up and just be like, the hell, especially when I look at my wife because, like, she's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm like, I'm not. <laughs> and, yeah, I did well there. Definitely um, batting above average. <laughs> okay. Well. This might be the same answer, but currently, what is your proudest moment or achievement? Um, oh, definitely marrying my wife and having my two kids. Okay. Um, they're awesome. I love them so much. They're just, yeah, they're awesome. If you if you had said bomb Alaskas, I would have, <laughs> I would have <laughs> punched you through this microphone. And my final, my final of the final four. So, you started your wrestling career at about nineteen or twenty. And you're now borderline hitting 40, vaguely. Looking yep. back at the age you are now, 
back to where you first started wrestling, thinking back then about 19 or 20, and you're now close to 40, did you think back then when you were 19 or 20 that this would where you'd be at 40? Like, could you ever imagine the life you're having now, being a husband, being a father, being a successful chef, having the impact that you've had on the Australian wrestling scene? Could you ever have imagined that close to 19, 20 years ago, that this is where you'd be? No. Well, that'll do it. <laughs> Is that so? Are you are you happy with where you've ended up? Like, could you ever have thought, man? I didn't even think I'd ever be married or be a chef, but here I am. I'm a chef. I'm a successful chef, successful wrestler, father, and and husband. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I certainly. That's a think big that... accomplishment to make in twenty years' time. That's a big accomplishment to make. Yeah, I mean, time time goes fast. Time goes fast. Like, uh, you know, stuff can change in a blink of the eye. Mm. So, uh, yeah, if you were to tell me 20 years ago that this is where it'd be, then, you know, uh, everyone says I probably wouldn't believe it. But, yeah, yeah. you know, <laughs> I, I I probably wouldn't. Like, I'm, you know, I've got it. I'm very fortunate. I feel like I've got a, I've got a good life. Um, I wouldn't change any of it. Mm. Um you know, I've, my wife would be married um, twelve years just this last March. So, I mean, that's a, that's an accomplishment. <laughs> um, you know, my kids, so my daughters, you know, in high school, my son, both like just awesome kids. They're doing do really well at school. I mean, I've got a I've got a steady job up until like a week ago. So, uh, we'll see what happens there, but. Um, I've been very fortunate, man, but, um, yeah, I wouldn't change anything, but if you'd have told me like, this is where I'd be, then, you know, I can't even tell you where I'll be like next week. <laughs> so, so, um, yeah, life's cool. <laughs> is that better? That'll be the quote on the shirt. Life's cool. Yeah. Well, as we, as we wrap up the podcast, man, I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, Thank you for all you've done for the industry. Thank you for what you've done for me professionally. I don't think I could ever repay you for taking that chance of working with someone like me. It really broadened my eyes onto how to perceive myself in the ring, how to pace myself in the ring. Um, you complimented the rattling of my in my brain of wrestling storytelling. You you soothed the the angst that I had as to how how I piece things together. Um, and yourself, along with the other. Uh, old school guys, they know who they are. There's so many to name, but um, you really influenced me uh, uh, um, amongst the others as well. And I, I'm so fortunate and lucky to know you, um, to call you a friend, to call, to extend that to a being a brother. And I thank you for all that you've done. And I wish you nothing but further success and less bomb Alaskas in the future. <laughs> <laughs> That's really sweet, man. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, appreciate it, Flash. It's been um, fun catching up. As far as all my accolades, and I, I appreciate them. I think you're being a bit generous. I don't think I've done that much. <laughs> uh, humble to the end. Humble um, to the end. Well, you've got to be. I, I don't take, uh, not to continue the conversation on for any longer, but I don't take any credit for anyone's success in um in anything that people do in life, I feel that, like that is off the back of, of their own work. Um, you can certainly help guide people 
Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't take credit for anyone's success. Not even the young, like some of the young guys um, today who are coming up, like certainly have like helped train them and whatever, but they're doing it on their own. Um, and it's great to see. Well, man, it's only with your guidance and leadership these guys have the uh, the willpower and the, the mindset to continue wrestling. So on behalf of them, BJ, thank you so much for being part of this podcast, and I'll catch you down the road. Thanks, Flash. It was awesome. Cheers, mate. So there you have it. Conversation with BJ Blade is in the books. I appreciate you all listening in. I hope that was an interesting little tale for you. I sure as hell learned a lot about my dear friend BJ Blade. For those listening, make sure you hit up Little Man Big Conversations on the Facebook, Little Man Big Conversation, and on Instagram at LMBC Podcast, and on Twitter at LMBC underscore podcast. Thanks so much for listening this week, and I'll see you on the regular schedule next week. Next week.